Radio Prague International, the external service of Czech Radio News. Events are being held around Czech Air marking the one-year anniversary of Russia's war on Ukraine. A mural honoring Ukrainians was unveiled in Lesser Town Square in Prague and the health ministry is proposing to end COVID self-isolation. Events are being held around Czechia on Friday, marking the first anniversary of the start of Russia's war on Ukraine. Some embassy buildings in Prague were lit up overnight in the blue and yellow of the Ukrainian flag. While a year of both brutal war and Czech support for the Ukrainian people are being remembered by politicians, Czechs and Ukrainians who found exile in Czechia, as well as Russians opposed to the invasion. The group Halas Ukraini, Voice of Ukraine, compri- comprising Ukrainians living in Prague, is holding demonstrations in the capital, Brno, and other cities. A procession will take place from Prague's Old Town Square to Wenceslas Square, which will be the venue of a large gathering on Friday early evening. The Czech Prime Minister Petr Fiala says Russia has overstepped all bounds of humanity with its war on Ukraine, and that is one reason why Ukraine must win. Speaking 12 months after Moscow launched the invasion, Mr Fiala said in a video on social media subtitled in Ukrainian that Ukraine could continue to count on support from Czechia. Czech street artist Chemis has created a mural on Prague's Lesser Town Square in honor of the Ukrainian people who have resisted the Russian invasion of their country for a year now. The large format mural depicts Amelia, a Ukrainian girl, standing with a suitcase amid the ruins of her home city. The work was unveiled on Friday by the Speaker of the Czech Chamber of Deputies, Marketa Pekarova Adamova, and a representative of the Ukrainian embassy in Prague. Friday's session of the Chamber of Deputies also started with a minute of silence to commemorate the victims of the Russian war on Ukraine. Turning now to other stories, the Health Ministry is proposing that people who test positive for COVID-19 should no longer be automatically ordered to go into self-isolation for seven days. Doctors are to decide whether this is really necessary on a case-by-case basis. Employees in high-risk professions such as healthcare workers or those in social services might be ordered to do so. Wearing a respirator at work may also be considered sufficient protection. It is not yet clear from when the change would apply. The government's decision to reduce the regular indexation of old-age pensions guaranteed by law to make up for inflation may hit the rocks in the Senate, the news site Sesnam.cz reported on Friday. The government on Monday approved a bill which would enable the cuts under a state of legislative emergency, provoking a storm from the opposition benches and criticism from some economists. Although the ruling coalition has a solid majority in both chambers, some senators from the coalition party say the move is unconstitutional, both because there was no justification to approve it under a state of legislative emergency and the fact that it would be enforced retroactively so as to save money this year. Finally, a quick look at the weather forecast. Saturday should be partly cloudy with snow or sleet showers and day temperatures between 1 and 5 degrees Celsius. I'm Daniela Lazarova and that's the end of the news. Hi there, listener. This is Radio Prague International and I'm Ian Willoughby. Today, after Tamash the tank, the Czech group Gift for Putin 
are collecting money for a multiple rocket launcher for Ukraine. Emil Bocek, the last surviving Czech World War II aviator, turns 100. And later we take an in-depth look at how Czechia has been helping Ukraine for the last year. All that's coming up, so do please stay with us. Gift for Putin has been one of the most active Czech civic groups providing direct support to Ukraine. Its best-known project has been a collection for a tank named Tomash, which made international headlines. Now, as well as organising a concert in Prague on Saturday, it's begun a collection for Przemysl, a rocket launcher. Gift for Putin's Jan Polak told me all about it. It's a RM-70 rocket launcher that is uh, able to uh, cover 30,000 square meters by one, uh, like, fire. It, it has 40 rockets in one load, and by one fire load, it can cover three hectares. Previously, you sent uh, Tomasz, the tank, to Ukraine. How useful is the multiple rocket launcher in comparison with the tank to Ukraine? Well, the main idea is to attract the attention to this kind of weapon. All of the heavy weapons and uh, the ammunition for it is very needed in Ukraine. And I think that the tank Tomash, the story, the, the biggest success of it is uh, basically because uh, somebody in U.S. and in Netherlands noticed it. And they have ordered another 100 tanks from the same company as uh, Tank Tomash was uh, uh, rebuilt. So we will see what the rocket launcher will do. But uh, right now uh, we can see that, uh, that Russians are using this brutal tactic of sending the human waves against the firepower. And this could really help uh, Ukrainians, the heavy artillery that is able to cover a large area. It could be really helpful uh, against this brutal Russian tactic that they are using. You collected millions of crowns for Przemysl within a few hours of starting this collection. I wanted to ask, have you seen much fluctuation in people's donations to gift for Putin as the war has gone on longer and longer? Are people still donating as they did in the past? Well, I have to say that uh, it's a nice surprise that the people in the Czech Republic or all the people that are supporting uh, our project, that they are still eager to help. Of course, uh, there is a fluctuation. Usually at the beginning of the project, there is uh, the bigger interest and then it, it, uh, it's uh, calming down a little bit uh, in the time. How much are you collecting? How much is it going to cost the uh, premissal? The target price is 50 million. Gift for Putin is also organizing an event by the Ministry of the Interior here in Prague on Saturday evening. What exactly will be happening there? Well, there's a parade going from Letna uh, along the uh, Russian embassy uh, and the, the parade uh, ends in front of the Ukrainian embassy where the concerts will take place. The concert should be starting at 6.30 and uh, there will be a lot of people supporting Ukrainians. There, there, there will be some key players, let's say. There, there will be some... Uh, politicians, uh, even from the highest uh, places. Including uh, President-elect Petr Pavel. That's correct. (music) 
General Emil Bocek, the last living Czech airman who served in Britain's RAF during World War II, celebrates his 100th birthday this Saturday. The veteran pilot, decorated with the highest Czech state honours, served with the RAF's 312 and 310 squadrons and participated in over two dozen operational flights. Ruth Frankova has more. Emil Bocek was born in 1923 in Brno. In 1939, after the Nazi troops invaded his hometown, he decided to leave Czechoslovakia to fight for his country from abroad. At the time, he was still a minor, so he didn't mention the plan to anyone, not even his mother. After a complicated and perilous journey through the Balkans, Egypt and Greece, he finally reached Beirut, where he boarded a ship to Marseille. In the summer of 1940, he took part in battles as the French retreated. That same year, Emil Bocek joined the Royal Air Force in Britain, first serving as a mechanic of fighter planes in the 312 Squadron, which was Czechoslovak. At the time, he didn't speak a word of English, as he recalled in an interview for the Memory of the Nation project. After we arrived in Chumley Park, we went to dance to Chester the next day, still in our French uniforms. We wrote down some phrases on a piece of paper with the pronunciation and with the Czech translation. I tried to speak to one of the girls, but she didn't understand. So I showed her the paper and she couldn't stop laughing. So in the end, it was the girls who taught us English. In October 1942, Bocek was admitted into pilot training, which he received in Canada in 1943. From October 1944, he served as a fighter pilot in the 310 Squadron, notching 26 operational flights over Germany, France, the Netherlands, Belgium and Denmark. In an interview for Czech Radio, he described one of several incidents in which he nearly lost his life. It happened during a training flight in Britain before he joined another Czechoslovak squadron, 310. I was still above the airport when the engine stopped working, so I had to land without it. In England, there were these little fields surrounded with barriers of bushes and trees, so landing there wasn't easy. You basically had to go straight down. I got caught up in the trees and lost the piece of wing. I crash-landed on a cow pasture and jumped out of the cockpit because there was something fizzling there. I lit a cigarette and started swearing, of course. In August 1945, Bocek, along with other Czechoslovak airmen who served in the RAF during the war, landed at Prague's Ruzinia Airport. A year later, he left the Air Force and started up a car parts business. Emil Bocek has received many awards throughout his life, including the highest Czech state distinction, the Order of the White Lion. Flying continued to be his biggest joy in life. Just two years ago, at the age of 98, he was taken for a 15-minute flight in a de Havilland Tiger Moth, a plane he first piloted when he joined the RAF eight years before. On Friday's first anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we look now at how the event activated both the Czech state and society toward providing military, humanitarian and political aid for the war-stricken country, and how Ukraine's resistance inspired many Czechs to go the extra mile in their response. Tom McEncrow reports. 
Russia's invasion of Ukraine began exactly one year ago. Days before it, Vladimir Putin had announced that Russia would recognize the so-called separatist Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics as independent. His speech was strongly directed against NATO and the Russian president called for a rollback of the, I quote, alliance's military capability and infrastructure in Europe to where they were in 1997, thus practically calling for a revision of the security structure in Europe where former Eastern Bloc states could thus become more vulnerable to any possible future Russian aggression. Then, on February 24th, Putin authorized a so-called special military operation against Ukraine, claiming that his aim was the demilitarization and denazification of the country. As much as 200,000 Russian soldiers had been amassing on the border between the two countries for months, and they were now unleashed on Ukraine from four different directions. Basically, I told myself, it's here, it's happening. I think we were preparing ourselves for the tragedy that we were sort of expecting now started to materialize under our hands, like right in front of our eyes. Says Tomasz Kopeczny, who was Czechia's deputy defense minister at the time. He says that he felt as if he were in an apocalyptic film, but one in which he knew it was necessary to act. So, yeah, uh, my feeling was, okay, it's here, but we just cannot wait one single second more. We just have to start delivering weapons to Ukraine as soon as possible, and we have to do everything imaginable so that we help our Ukrainian brothers as soon as possible and stop the terrible Russian invasion. Gathering his immediate team, Kopechny began calling foreign governments and Czech billionaires in order to try and raise money for Ukraine, but it was insufficient. I told myself, yes, let's try it completely differently. Uh, I called the Ukrainian ambassador, told him that, you know, there could be a way that we will just establish a bank account under the name of the embassy and that we'll just start crowdfunding the money for the weapons. The crowdfunding campaign became a huge success. Over 300 million crowns were raised within less than a week. The Czech public, long accustomed to living with Ukrainians who made up the second largest minority in the country after Slovaks, and with the memory of being themselves invaded by the Soviet Union in 1968, was shocked by what was happening. In a median agency survey released on the day of the invasion, 87% of Czechs said that they considered Russia's actions as an, I quote, unjustifiable act of aggression. Donations poured in not just to the account of Ukraine's embassy in Prague, but to the many Czech NGOs that were either already active or preparing to help Ukrainian refugees who were now fleeing in their millions out of the country. Evgen Givish, the regional manager working in Karatas, Czech Republic, responsible for Ukraine and Moldova, was having breakfast with his family when he heard the news. It touched me very deeply because it's full-scale war. First really full-scale classic war since the beginning of World War II in Europe, such close to us. Second, in a country that is again very close to us physically or geographically in terms of uh, historical experience, in terms of mentality, culture, country I really like. I had been there relatively many times, knowing many people from Ukraine, either living here or in Ukraine. Karatas Czech Republic set up an account for help to Ukraine already before the war started. It has since raised 165 million crowns. 
sending 11 lorries worth of humanitarian aid and is now working to provide accommodation to Ukrainian refugees both within the country and in the Czech Republic. It's being divided into two main packages or portions. One bigger one to be spent within the country in Ukraine. The second one to be spent here to help those Ukrainians who came or are coming to the Czech Republic. When it comes specifically to Karatas' help in Ukraine, Divish says that the form of aid that was and is being provided can roughly be divided into several stages. Okay, so first phase, two or three months, almost exclusively material aid, that being food, non-food stuff, medicines, generators, etc. Then approximately from the beginning of summer, slightly more sophisticated projects started. By projects, I mean something supported financially by institutional donors, Czech Ministry of Foreign Affairs, for example. And that were the projects in healthcare and shelter provision. And when I talk about shelter provision, I mean construction of that model houses or reconstruction or adaptation of collective centers for refugees, improving the water sanitation conditions, etc., And as for the medical assistance, providing refugees with cash so that they could buy medicine, providing some medical equipment to medical services providers and organizing psychosocial trainings. These trainings or interventions, as Givish also refers to them, are aimed at helping people cope with what they may have experienced in wartime conditions. It's external help to be able to cope with potential post-traumatic stress disorder, to be able to process it, get over it and function normally again. Caritas is just one of many Czech NGOs that are helping Ukrainians. People in Need, the largest Czech charity, has provided more than a billion crowns in aid to hundreds of thousands of refugees. The country itself has taken in 480,000 Ukrainian refugees, one of the largest numbers in Europe. Musíme vědět. A musíme si uvědomit, že také bojují za nás, za naši nezávislost, za naši svobodu. A my je musíme. Czechia, for its size, provided substantial aid both in terms of military equipment and humanitarian support in the initial weeks of the conflict. But the country's government also made an important symbolic political statement when Czech Prime Minister Petr Fiala, along with his Polish and Slovenian counterparts, decided to visit Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky in what was still an embattled Ukrainian capital on March 15th. It was the first visit made by international leaders to Ukraine since the war began. Czechia and several other states belonging to the former Eastern Bloc were sometimes seen as more suspicious of the threat Russia posed than some of their other NATO allies, such as Germany, and more confrontational. Tomasz Kopechny recalls when this attitude began to be accepted by those who had previously striven for more dialogue with the aggressor. To be very frank, in D.C. it was around late March, April, where they first saw that it's not going to be about a guerrilla warfare the Ukrainians are going to be fighting, so they're going to need much more than what the U.S. was considering before. Second, they, were, they, they saw that Ukraine will survive this. And third, they also saw that all these things that the Central European countries were warning against were really happening. So DC, my impression was like really April with other major European countries who were more prone to be, say, less suspicious of Russia, historically, traditionally, France, Germany.
over summer. And it's not culturally easy. I understand it completely. The decades-long identity and the, the perception of the identity of the other, of Russia, as being something that, you know, the Eastern Europeans were warring against, it's not easy to accept it. It's not about, you know, accepting one was wrong. It's about accepting a totally different reality. The unthinkable has happened here. We have seen the cruel face of um, Putin's army. We have seen One aspect that may have helped in accepting this reality, as Kopechny calls it, was the uncovering of the atrocities committed by Russian troops in the towns of Bucha and Irpin in April, after the Russians retreated following the Battle of Kiev. The events that took place there and in other locations, are now being investigated as war crimes. This is my specialization, this is like my field, and the field of my smaller team. Says Petr Poiman from the organization Team for Ukraine, a group of experts who have been working in the country since 2014. He spoke to Radio Prague International just ahead of flying back to Ukraine, where he does much of his work. First of all, we are supporting Ukraine in general and uh, monitoring of uh, war crimes and monitoring of this DN behavior, like criminological research, is just part of our nowadays activities. We have also other activities, informational security, cyber security, and of course, humanitarian support. He says his speciality is deviantology, a discipline that he incidentally studied under a Russian professor in St. Petersburg. So far, we are working with, especially with the victims and witnesses. Uh, uh, I had some opportunity to talk with the Russians, but for now it's not as systematic enough to say something about it. But what I see, I have seen a lot of crime scenes. I was talking with many witnesses and victims who were describing the behavior of the Russian soldiers. And based on this information, I can do this conclusion uh, that in Russian army we have a big number of persons with deviant behavior. It's not only about the criminals, you know, it's quite famous that this private military network, private military companies, and also Russian army in general, is using Russian prisons as a reservoir for soldiers. And these persons, no one is counting them, you know? And these people are ready to kill. They are aware of it. It's a normal approach for them. And in this regard, we see similar behavior also with the people who had no criminal record, but there's social background, and their social profile is deviant anyway. So it means a criminal record is not necessary to be able to make war crimes. He says that this behavior is also largely down to the nature of the Russian state itself and its social conditions. We had the opportunity to talk with Ukrainians who were defending Kharkiv and they were fighting with the, one of the worst Russian soldiers who were almost in Kharkiv. It was not the center of Kharkiv. But it was not far from the center. They were in school, and the Ukrainians, they first, they offered them to give up. They didn't. They were fighting next five hours, and on the end, they were jumping from the fifth floor, and it looks like they are real heroes, real professionals. They don't give up. But when I saw these guys, some of them were children, like very young soldiers. Maybe they would be ready to give up, but they were afraid that in this case they will be killed by their own officers later when they will be exchanged, which is happening sometimes, by the way. And some others look like homeless people, you know, they didn't look like a real professional soldiers. So these people, the way how they were fighting, it was not a hero, but they were fighting like this because they had nothing to lose, because their nowadays life is so poor, they are still humiliated in Russian army, 
So it's not very big difference. I can die here. If I will die now, maybe it will be easier than life in uh, this Russian army where I, when I'm suffering every day anyway, humiliation every day, uh, including by the sexual humiliation. It was also around the time of the uncovering of the Bucha massacre in early April that reports appeared in the media of Czechia having been the first foreign country to provide tanks to Ukraine since the beginning of the invasion. Sources from the ranks of Czech officials stated that the country sent some of its Soviet-era T-72 tanks to help the Ukrainian cause. Tomáš Kopečný says that he sees this as perhaps the greatest contribution by the Czechs. We were trying to show our partners that it can be done because what the Western countries were dealing before, but not only Western, you know, Estonia, the Baltic countries as well, was precisely manpads, RPGs, but those are weapons for guerrilla. What we were delivering were weapons for what we see now, full-scale conventional conflict. And that was what they were fearing the most, you know, governments all over, all over the Western Hemisphere. And by literally showing them that it arrives there and it saves lives, it saves the front, of course, it took many, many more infinite months, felt like infinity, for the Western coalition to, say, to agree on sending tanks for us and the Poles. We did it already in the first weeks. But it was important to show it's not a danger for the countries who send it, not for the delivery itself. This week, Czech Prime Minister Petr Fiala disclosed that Czechia has sent hundreds of pieces of military equipment to Ukraine since the conflict began. This includes 89 tanks, 226 fighting and armoured vehicles, 38 howitzers, 33 multiple rocket launchers, 6 air defence systems and 4 helicopters. Czechia also played a major role in coordinating the wider EU internal and external effort in both supporting Ukraine and extricating itself from its dependency on Russian energy supplies through its six-month-long EU presidency in the latter half of 2022. During this time, Prague Castle hosted the historic first meeting of the European political community, which was attended by representatives of 44 European countries, including Ukraine. One of the primary goals of the Czech presidency was also to manage the preparations for Ukraine's post-war recovery. A special position was set up for Czechia's role in this task, and it was assigned to none other than Tomáš Kopečný, who assumed the role of government commissioner for Ukraine's reconstruction in January of this year. He says that Czech involvement in rebuilding the war-stricken country will not just be beneficial for Ukraine, but will also make Czechia wealthier. Only by what we have been delivering last year in the weapon sector, the Czech Republic has gained a lot of money for the state budget through taxes and through social insurances the companies have to pay. The same will be done, of course, in all the other sectors. Every company that will be successfully reconstructing Ukraine based in the Czech Republic will increase employment, will bring more money to the public treasury. So yeah, we will be all healthier as well and safer because Ukraine is defending us, but also we will be wealthier because together we will be building and producing technologies and solutions that Ukraine needs in order to become part of the European single market. So as a country, it's in our vital national security interest and also national economic interest to be helping Ukraine as much as possible. Czechia has declared its aim to focus on reconstructing the Dnipro region in southeast Ukraine, which Kopechny calls the, I quote, industrial heart of Ukraine, adding that Czech companies already have a presence there. Czechia is also helping rebuild the damaged local energy infrastructure and providing humanitarian aid. However, the man tasked with Czechia's reconstruction effort adds that Czechs are ready to support other parts of the country as well. Před silou tvé duše, co se tváří tvář hrůze, 
nerozpadla na milion částí. To, co ti chci říct, ze všeho nejvíc, odtud, kde je zatím klidné nebe nad Prahou, že jsem díky tobě ušel kus cesty rychlé chůze ke své lásce vlasti. And that report is by my colleague Tom McEncrow. That's all we've got time for right now here on Radio Prague International. For me, Ian Willoughby, thank you so much for joining us and speak to you again very soon.